I think half the sanctuary left when Baby Shark came on. <laughs> Wes Bowles, good morning. Thank you for being here this morning. I actually am about to share one of those moments for me. It's like my worst parenting fail ever in just a minute. I want to, real quick, every single week we, uh, we come in here and you get to read over the doors coming into the sanctuary what we're all about. That West Bowles would be a place where you can connect with Jesus, connect with people, and connect people with Jesus. And it's very easy, I think, for us to settle into just at a conceptual level, thinking about that. But we, we as you know, every single week try to provide an opportunity and a space where God can do that with us, um, both in getting together in the service or in the different ministries and classes here at the church, to quarterly events like what we got announced this morning, the worship night tonight, the work day, which is really a work morning next week. But there's also uh, something we do annually that I want to invite you to be part of. Over 200 people year to year help put on this Christmas show that we do, um, that the choir puts on, and many, many other people have parts in making this happen. And truth be told, this is something we need every single one of us to be part of. Um, This year, we're actually a little earlier than normal. We're going to start selling those tickets to the Christmas show next Sunday. And the tickets are $20 a piece. and actually, uh, we've talked to Elvis Cinemas. They are going to, if you go to the movies at Elvis, every single day, before every single show, they're going to run this 30-second spot with us that John tells me I'm talking on, but I'm too terrified, so we'll get somebody. No, but we'll be showing a, uh, a spot before every single movie of every single day at Elvis Cinemas, starting in about a week and a half. Now, the reason I'm telling you about this is because starting next Sunday through the end of October, We're going to do a buy one ticket, get one ticket free promotion. Okay, now I know what you're thinking. Oh, so my family of four, we only have to buy two tickets and then we'll go for half the price. So that's not the purpose of this. The purpose of this, and listen, if if the ticket prices are just too much to bring your whole family, come talk to us. We'll figure this out. But the idea of the free ticket is for us to help share the story of Jesus through this Christmas show. And so we'd like you to consider if you will buy tickets starting next Sunday through the end of October, every free ticket you get is for somebody that you could invite, somebody that God has put on your heart, somebody that God has on your mind, whatever it is. But that is the purpose of this promotion. And so would you mark your calendars and just be thinking about it now? So with all that being said, let me pray, and then I'll share one of my greatest parenting failures ever, okay? All right, Heavenly Father, um, we just thank you for the opportunity to be here in this place together, and we ask that uh, this morning, as we, as we kick off a new series throughout the rest of October and in November, that you will, um, any of those moments that we just watched on that video, that all that could maybe fade away or take your perspective. And so reveal that to us and um, mold us. Soften our hearts to hear your word. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, many of you know, I, and you get to hear about these guys a lot, but we've got, we've got three children. And back before we ever had our third child, our son Lincoln, we had our two daughters. We had Lainey and True. And I can remember one night I had brought Lainey up here. It was a Monday night for Awanas up here, which meant I had about two hours that I had True. And True was in the crawling stages at that time. And I I was also in seminary. And so we came back home and I was working on this paper. And because True was in the crawling stages, we had baby-proofed everything. And 
I can still remember the moment that I had this realization. I was sitting at the table, I was working on this paper, and she was, she, I was thinking I was doing a great job of multitasking. She's crawling around, and you can always tell when they've got something in their mouth. And we had like blocks and those big Legos that they can't possibly swallow. And I hear this. And I looked over, and to my dismay and shock and horror, I just thought, oh man, Kara, Kara was working the night shifts at the hospital at the time, so she wasn't there. True had unplugged one of those Glade plugins. And she had separated the plug-in part with the liquid, and she was just chowing down on that liquid. And I remember the panic inside me, and she just... <laughs> so I dial, I, I call poison control, and I'm calling poison control. It took about six rings for me to realize, oh, duh, Nathan, take the thing from her. She just kept going, just kept on going. <laughs> but that's what happens when you panic, right? Just tell me it does, okay, so I don't feel so dumb. So, young lady answers on the other line, or other end of the line, and she said, poison control. I said, okay. My daughter, she grabbed one of the, the Glade plugins out of the wall, and she's sucking down on this thing. And I'll never forget what happened next. Because, see, part of what's nice about calling when you call, hopefully you don't have to, but if you ever had to call 911 or poison control or something like that, is they're so calm and they're so reassuring. Here's the response I got. <sighs> okay, stay calm. <laughs> and I was like, you stay calm. <laughs> I explained what happened and it was this young lady and, and I could hear like keyboard and I could hear pages flipping and I realized she doesn't know what to do. She has no idea what to do. Whole time, True is just like looking at me. I was like, okay, all right, so what do we do? This lady comes back. She finally just breaks down. She's like, it's my first day on the phones. <laughs> and you can imagine what's going on inside me because this is, this is my child here. And so anyhow, she gets a supervisor and the supervisor comes back and just public service announcement, don't let your children drink from the Glade plugins, okay? <laughs> But I explained what had happened. They said, honestly, she's fine. I said, well, it's on like size 100 font on the side of the box in all capital letters. Call poison control immediately if this is ingested. And he said, that's just, that's on every box because we want you to take it seriously. But she would have had to down like seven of these things for you to have to take her in. And so I went, okay. Now, I tell you that story because maybe you haven't had that specific situation, but I bet you've had that situation, haven't you? Because for every single one of us, there is a set of circumstances. There's a set of circumstances that can just send our temperature level sky high, right? There's a face that could walk in the room. There's a grade you could get on a test. There's a diagnosis you could get. There's a work review. There is something in life, and here's why. Because we are so, our natural state is like that of a thermometer. We just register naturally the conditions around us. Every single day, this is what we do. Now, I don't know about you, and this might be a terrible thing to disclose as a pastor, but oftentimes what makes me feel better is if I can look around and see somebody who's in a worse situation than I am, okay? <laughs> And let's just be honest with ourselves, we're human, and that is a natural thing for us to do. And so the reason I bring that up is because the rest of October and throughout November, 
I want us to look at this letter from a man that you've maybe heard of before. His name's Paul, but it's a letter that Paul wrote while he was in the middle of a set of circumstances that honestly, you look at what he's going through and you just think, okay, I'm feeling a little better about me. I'm feeling a little better about my circumstances. But what he has to say in the middle of this imprisonment has so much to say, and through it, God has so much to say about how we navigate our circumstances, if all that makes sense. Now, let me read to you what Roman imprisonment looked like for Paul. There's, a, there's an author named John McRae who wrote a book called Christian History, and he talked about what Roman imprisonment was like. And some scholars believe that when Paul wrote this letter, it's, it's now known as the book of Philippians in the Bible. But when Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians, some think he was under house arrest. Others believe he was imprisoned in conditions like what I'm about to read to you. John McRae says this, He said, for Apostle Paul, who spent roughly one quarter of his missionary career in prisons, here are some of the conditions that he went through. Roman imprisonment was preceded by being stripped naked and then flogged, a humiliating, painful, and bloody ordeal. The bleeding wounds went untreated as prisoners sat in painful leg or wrist chains. Mutilated, blood-stained clothing was not replaced, even in the cold of winter. Most cells were dark, especially the inner cells of a prison, like the one Paul and Silas inhabited in Philippi. Unbearable cold, lack of water, cramped quarters, and sickening stench from few toilets made sleeping difficult and waking hours miserable. Because of the miserable conditions, excuse me, many prisoners begged for a speedy death. Others simply took their own lives. And it was in settings like this that Paul wrote encouraging, even joyful letters, and continued to speak of Jesus. Now, having heard that, and having thought about your circumstances, whether it's past or present, I want to read to you what the beginning of this letter, while he was in the middle of prison, in the middle of those circumstances, I want, you to, read, I want to read to you what Paul begins his letter with. He says this, Grace, this is Philippians chapter 1, verse 2. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. Grace, peace, and gratitude. And I just think that's so weird for us. And the reason that's so weird for us is because when we get in the middle of circumstances that maybe feel like a prison, where we feel pressed in on, they're cold, they're dark, it's not natural for us to think of somebody else. It's natural for us to think, is anybody thinking about me? But see, Paul had something different going on because Paul, Paul's not quite like a thermometer like maybe we would associate with. He goes on. He says, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That is, no matter the conditions, no matter the temperature of Paul's relationships, no matter what he was going through, you know what, Paul is not a thermometer. Paul is a thermostat. And there's a major difference between a thermometer and a thermostat. 
And the major, major difference is simply this, that when God places his Holy Spirit inside somebody, he goes to work transforming them from thermometer that registers the conditions of everything around it to thermostat, somebody that he can have his hand on the control of the thermostat and adjust and affect the spiritual climate around any space, any place that he has somebody in. Paul is a thermostat. And what happens, and what you're going to see throughout Philippians, if I could just sum up Philippians, is really this attitude of the mind that Paul holds. And it's simply this, that what's inside of you, when God places his Holy Spirit inside of you, what's inside of you isn't stopped by what's in front of you. It does not matter if it's in a prison. It does not matter the grade. It does not matter the outcome of the game. It doesn't matter the job. It's not that those aren't big deals. But as we're going to see Paul come back to over and over and over, what's inside of you is not stopped by what's in front of you. And so in the coming weeks, we're going to look at how does that attitude affect some different areas that Paul is going to address, specifically within the church at Philippi, but there are issues that we still see today. Now, here's where this gets more complex for us. Because oftentimes when I'm going through a set of circumstances, I don't always see the what. And you probably don't always see the what. What do we see? We see a who. In other words, when I think about my problems, I often think about people. Because isn't it true that you've got maybe an issue you're facing that you think, well, if they hadn't, that wouldn't have happened. And and if I hadn't, maybe that wouldn't have happened or maybe something would have happened. See, when we think about our problems, it's very easy to think about people. And in another letter, Paul says, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against something much more than that. It's against powers and principalities. But the reverse is also true. Not only do we, when we think about our problems, do we think about people, but oftentimes when we think about people, well, some problems come to mind, don't they? And so what we're going to see at the beginning of this letter is Paul specifically addressing the dealing with people that we go through. And specifically, right off the bat, at the very beginning of the letter, in fact, looking at what we just read, he addresses how we think about people. Listen to this. Let's read this again. Verse 3 says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to notice something here. As you look at that verse, do you notice the tense? He's speaking in past tense. He says, I remember. And he says, from the first day until now. And he says that he who began a good work will carry it on to completion. There's this past element, and here's the deal. Paul, no doubt, is reflecting on how he came to know the Philippians. And the reason you got to know that is because I bet you look at the people that are on your mind, and you think, it was never my plan. Maybe it was never your plan to be in relationship with them. Paul would say, I can relate to that. Because Paul, on a missionary journey, he thought he was going elsewhere. And you can read this in Acts chapter 16. But what happened was Paul was given a vision of the man of Macedonia. And it was the Lord saying, I want, you to, I want you to abandon your plans, Paul, and you're going to go where I send you. 
And in going to Macedonia, Paul came through this colony called Philippi. And here is Paul, he's reflecting, he's saying, it was never even my plan to be in a relationship with you, and now here we are. And I'm, you know what? I'm thankful. I'm thankful for it. Now, if I could come to us for a minute. I mean, that face that maybe came to mind. Maybe there's a face that every single day is on your mind, and maybe it's frustration, maybe it's, uh, it's fear, maybe it's anger, maybe it's joy. But Paul says, you want to be thankful for somebody? Reflect on how God brought you together. We talked about this a little bit last week. I mean, you think about all the different people in this room. I bet 10 years ago, if you had said, here's who I want to be in church with, you could not have guessed every face that would be in here. You know why? Because it wasn't our plan. It was God's plan. And so Paul says, when it comes to people on your mind, remember God's plans, not yours. When it comes to having people on our minds, remember it was God's plan, not ours. Now, I think about this frequently because when I just think about my parents' story, I often, I, I just go, I shouldn't be here. I just should not be here. My dad, he was born out toward the East Coast and grew up in New Zealand most of his life. When he, when he um, turned 18, he joined the service, the U.S. service, the Navy, and so he came back to the U.S., and after he got out of the Navy, he was, he was going to go into the Coast Guard. And between the Navy and the Coast Guard, he found himself working in this small town on the border of Nebraska and Kansas called Phillipsburg, Kansas. And he's working in this nursing home, and they had this Christmas party that my mom happened to show up to. And they met each other, and as my mom says it, she said after that night, she just totally forgot about him. But my dad didn't. In fact, two years went by, and my dad was in the Coast Guard, and the Coast Guard ended up taking him to Antarctica. And two years later, my mom gets this letter in the mail from Antarctica, from my dad. And while she forgot, him after, forgot about him after that night, he was like, I haven't forgotten about you. And so they actually met up, and this is even, I just recently found this out. They met up when his ship was docking in Oakland, California. So my mom took a train to Oakland, California. They met, um, hung out, and then they met up again a second time. This time she flew in by plane. As she was getting off the plane, my dad went to hug her, knocked her glasses off, and broke them. <laughs> and I think of that, and I just go, I shouldn't be here. I, I, should not, I should not even have come to be. Now, that's just my story, and that's not even getting to how we got to now. That's just one story. Now, you think back on your story and how you came to be in this room, it becomes very, very clear that regardless of how you feel about the person on your mind, it's God's plan. It's God's plan to put you in a room with them, that put you in a workplace with them, that put you in school with them, that put you on a team with them. So Paul says, that's how you think about people, even if it's frustrating, even if, in your heart, if you're in hard circumstances. And then he moves on. He says it's not just about how we think about people. He moves into how we feel about people. Here's what he says in verse 7. He says, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. See that word affection on there? 
What it actually literally means in the Greek, this is kind of weird. It means bowels. It means bowels. Now, I don't want you to leave service today and be like, see somebody and say, man, I just, I love you with all my bowels, okay? That's not gonna, it's not gonna go well. But what he was getting at there was, it is this deep, deep affection with everything in me, from the depths of me. I have the affection of Christ for you. Now, that's kind of that's a different way to feel about somebody, isn't it? Because a lot of times we stay at the mind level. And Paul says, no, 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 I, I feel something for you. I feel the very affection of Christ. And, and here's why you have, we have to talk about this. One of the most formative questions anybody has ever asked me was simply this, Nathan, when you think about how Jesus feels about you, what comes to mind? I mean, when you think about the look on his face as he looks into your eyes, what comes to mind? Is it, is it like indigestion? Is it anger? Is it disappointment? I got to be honest, for a lot of my life, that's what, that was maybe the look that I had in mind. Or is it something else? Is there a smile? Is there acceptance? Is there affection? And the reason I ask that is because if we cannot, if we cannot understand or even get a glimpse of the affection Jesus has for us, we're going to have a hard time carrying out and living out what it is that Paul is saying here, to have that affection of Christ from the very depths for somebody else. But there's another phrase in here I want you to see because it repeats itself. You ready? In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who, who began, nope, I'm reading the wrong verse. Nice. <laughs> um, he said, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. Further, he goes, all of you share in God's grace with me. And God can testify how I long for all of you. Do you notice that phrase, all of you? All of you. Let me ask you a question. Is it possible that there's somebody who's not part of all of you for you? In other words, if you were writing this letter, is it possible you would write, I, I am thankful for all of you except somebody? See, a lot of times, the people we have in our mind constantly, it's hard to feel. It's hard to have them in our hearts as well. And so Paul says, when it comes to thinking about people, having people in your mind, remember God's plans. But when it comes to having people in your heart, keep God's perspective. Keep his perspective. Can I just tell you the name of somebody I have a very hard time with? Let me just give you a name. And many of you actually know her. Siri, okay? Siri, I have a very hard time with. And when I think about my relationship with Siri, the Apple helper, I think, wow, that's kind of what happens with human faces sometimes too. In fact, the other day, I remember I was driving down the road and I needed to call my sister named Kyla. So I said, hey Siri, call Kyla. And Siri responded, calling Tyler. And I was like, no, no. Shut this off. Let's try this again. Siri, call Kyla. Siri replied with calling Tyler. And I went, 
And there's this old quote that came into my mind. It's simply this, that if you have somebody on your mind, but you don't have them on your heart, it's only a matter of time before they're on your nerves. <laughs> and I went, yep, that's Siri. That's Siri right there. So I responded with, Siri, you're a moron. And she said, calling Kyla. No, I'm just kidding, Kyla. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. She's going to spit in my food at lunch today. No, actually, you know what Siri replied? Thank you, Nathan. <laughs> I just went, Ugh. But that's the dynamic. We get people on our minds, and Paul says, if you want somebody on your mind, remember God's plans. If you want somebody on your heart, keep God's perspective. And now Paul's going to get to one more part that we'll wrap up with this. And it has to do with people in our prayers. Because Paul says, let me show you how you can even pray for that person that's on the mind, that you're trying to get on the heart. Here's what he says. <clears throat> and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Do you notice what's happening here? This is a prayer that our love would grow. It's a prayer that our love would grow. And let's walk through it. He says, first of all, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. You know what Paul really hopes for the Philippians? And what I would say if Paul were here, he would hope for us and that he would pray for us is that our love would abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. That in this amazing love that God has shown us and given to us, but guess what? You don't have to stay a thermometer. You don't have to register the conditions of what's around you that you can actually be a thermostat, that he can put his hand on the control and he can begin to adjust the climate around you and around me and around the church and beyond these walls as well. And then he goes on. He says, when that love abounds, that love, well, what happens is it grows in discernment. In other words, that we would be people who were so, were so full of that love that there's an actual discernment that takes place. Have you ever taken one of those tests? I remember this from, I took an EMT class years ago. Those multiple choice tests where they give you four possible answers and all four could be right. This discernment that Paul's talking about, he's like, it's like being able to know which is the best answer. Which one is the right answer? So that we'd be what? So that we'd be blameless, free from error. In other words, Paul says, look, you could take actions that look right on the surface, but it could be all wrong if we're not discerning. So this is knowing when we need to take action, when we need to wait, when we need to open our mouths, when we need to listen. That's the kind of discernment that love, abundant love can bring about and so much more. And then finally, let me point you to what he says at the end of that prayer filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul says, I pray that you would bear fruit that glorifies and praises God. And oftentimes, 
I think that's a battle for us, especially now in 2019. And, and we've talked about this some. We live in a very instant age. And so oftentimes, our prayers are instant prayers. We want to push some buttons and apply a formula and walk through a process, and that might be how God does something. Or it might be like the language God uses throughout Scripture. It's agricultural. There's a growth process. Do you remember kindergarten? When they gave you grass seed, you planted grass seed in class, and you watered it, and you put it on the windowsill, and day one, there was nothing there, and day two, there was nothing there, and day 10, there was nothing there, and then finally, when it sprouted, I mean, it made your day, didn't it? Well, made my day, anyway. But that's the kind of thing that glorifies God, and that's the kind of progress that Paul is praying for. When it comes to people on our minds, he says, remember God's plans. When it comes to having people on our hearts, he says, remember, keep God's perspective. When it comes to having people in our prayers, he says, ask for God's progress. Years ago, when I had a lawn business, um, I, I remember there was an elderly Japanese couple that lives in the area that I took care of their lawn. And I remember one day, they, they invited me into the house, and I'll never forget the day because I had scheduled like 12 jobs that day, uh, different places to get to to mow, and I got through that one, and it was like the first one of the day. They're walking me through their house, and they kept showing me this, it's called a plum blossom. And the plum blossom is a, is a plant or a tree in Japan that actually blooms when nothing else blooms. It blooms in February. And they, they actually, like, named every single one of them. And so I, like, went to each house or each plant, and they actually wanted me to, like, touch the branches and meet each plant. But what I thought was so powerful was that at a time when none of us was expecting to see growth, I knew in this house there was this plum blossom that was, it was showing leaves and it was bearing fruit. And I thought maybe, just maybe, that's what Paul's getting at here. What if we began to ask for, for fruit in our lives that glorifies God and praises God and let him make the progress? He said, that's how you look at people. That's how you see people. That's how you can get to a place that regardless of the circumstances, regardless of them, you can know that what's inside of you is not stopped by what's in front of you who's in front of you, anything else in front of you. In fact, this week, I was reminded, as, as, as I was looking at this letter from prison, from Paul, this was very literally, two weeks ago, I got this letter, it says, uh, Colorado Department of Corrections. And I know a few people that are in the prison system here in Colorado, but this was a letter uh, from a man that I have not talked to in years that we knew through the church here years ago. And this letter was 10 pages, front and back, handwritten, and, and there's all kinds of stuff in this letter. But there's one sentence in here, one sentence that I won't forget. He said, maybe the greatest blessing of my time in here is that I look at people differently now. Because most of this letter, you know what he's doing? As I read it, he's reflecting and he's remembering on his, he's remembering his time that brought him to this point. And now he looks around at guys that are younger than him coming into the prison system, and he says, I have them on my heart. 
And then he decided to be forward-looking. And see, that's really the movement of this part of Philippians. It's Paul reflecting on the past, looking at the present, praying for the future. It's a man who said, I pray for these guys. I want to be involved in these guys' lives so that they can maybe do it differently than I did it. And I read that, and I just thought, wow. It's like God went into the loneliest, darkest, coldest place and installed a thermometer, and the place warmed right up. That is my prayer, not just as we walk through the letter to the Philippians, but for us every single day, every single week, all the time. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you, as Paul said, we thank you for so much. And it's easy to thank you for the blessings, and it's easy to thank you for the smooth stuff. But Lord, in the midst of the circumstances, regardless of what our circumstances are, we thank you. Because we're reminded that you're a God who has put something inside of us that just isn't stopped by what's in front of us. And I pray for anybody in here who wants to know that love, Lord, I pray that you would open a door for them, whether it's to step forward or uh, for them to meet somebody, to hear about that love and, and to hear about your Holy Spirit, to experience and receive your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would make that happen because you do it beautifully and better than we ever could. But for us, as we look at this next week, as we look at our relationships, no matter what circumstances we're in, I pray that you would give us people on our minds in remembering your plans. I pray that you would put people on our hearts, keeping your perspective for them. And I pray that you will put people in our prayers, asking for your progress as they go through their days. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.